Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to Alewife is now The school was a buzzing beehive with open house only a day away. The students had finished their projects and now chilled in the quad, their cell phones clutched in one hand and their eyes constantly glancing at the screens. The quad was our core and we hung out there. Music, live jam sessions, or a favorite playlist wafted from the student center that formed a perfect contemporary backdrop for the soaring orange Calder sculpture. From a different direction, classical piano or violin reached us from the performance building. The day before open house, I watched dancers practicing their routines on the grass and the lunch hour yogis stretched to their maximums. Artists and poets leaned against trees or perched on rocks to scratch away in their notebooks. Other students pored over scientific textbooks or works of literature. This idyllic atmosphere ruptured several times in those last hours before the annual event. Dixie Ames's senior English class had published a special issue of the Haskell Voice, the school newspaper, devoted to Madame Bovary. The young editors dropped the freshly printed paper in its usual outlets, and students swooped in to snatch up copies, dying to read their words in print or the articles by their friends. They wanted extra copies for relatives. Lori saw the shrinking piles from her window, and in a flash, her booming voice rang across the quad. Hey, don't take all the papers. They're for parents tomorrow. But as soon as she went inside, the piles continued to diminish. Lori made rounds again, putting large stones on the piles with a scribbled note underneath. Do not take. Naturally, this only provoked more sabotage. Lori then ordered Bernie, our custodian, to bring all the remaining papers to her office until the next morning. Lori had been annoying everyone for weeks. She sent us daily emails demanding progress reports on our student displays. When I worked at Harvard, she wrote, I created an Excel sheet so the professors could track their milestone deadlines. Because of my system, they were never late. Mike, could you set up a sheet like that for the teachers and then send it to me to review? And let me know if you need help on what to put in it. You should put in a column for teachers, a column for their displays, and milestone dates for their progress, with exhibits up at least two days before open house so I have a chance to review them. Mike was our computer teacher. His students collaborated with Dixie's to produce the Haskell voice. In the teacher's room, we joked about Lori's missives. We had grown up on Excel sheets, we had graduate degrees in education, and from the start of the semester, we had organized ourselves for cross-curricular projects to deepen the kids' education and also to prepare for an impressive open house. Most of us had collaborated on a climate change theme for our displays. Even Dixie's Madame Bovary class had found an angle, and one of her students wrote about it in the Haskell voice. The gist was that Madame Bovary's psychology was the same as climate change deniers. Both avoided the reality of a situation until it was too late. Catastrophes happened because of years of ignoring the truth. I had collaborated with Becky and her junior and senior science classes. We had explored the energy industry and options for the future. My art classes focused on a visual response to the crisis, which could be figurative or abstract. Students read and discussed a full range of climate topics before responding through painting. One of our liveliest class discussions had been on artificial intelligence. Mei had brought in a podcast by Martine Rothblatt, who told us her theories of cyber-consciousness and techno-immortality. Could robots programming enable them to feel, to have a conscience just like humans? The studio filled with excited debate for days. 
I guess word of our discussion reached Lori because that day before open house, she requested to see me. I knew Rod was down on the tennis courts finishing the paint job, so I quickly texted him for emotional support. What do you think she wants? Ask her, he wrote back. But I wasn't going to do that, so I let myself feel nervous until it was time to head to her office just before lunch. Anita gave me a sympathetic smile as I knocked on Lori's door and entered. Hello, Pia. Have a seat. We sat down at her table and I warily observed her glued-on smile and lacquered hair. I wanted to ask you how things are going, she said. Great. The kids are awesome. They're turning out fantastic work. Have you seen the displays? Yes. I know it's your first few weeks here and, and it can take some time to find the right groove. Well, the groove's happening. <laughs> the kids are thinking and exploring. They're even coming to the studio to work in their free periods. And I'm learning from them, too. We're all learning together. Glad to hear it. She sat back a little, and her smile tightened at the corners. I guess I have a little concern about the curriculum. It was brought to my attention by someone here that lately your classes are more in the science area than art. What do you have to say about that? I froze, unprepared for her tactic. Well, uh, first of all, who's reporting that? Did one of my colleagues complain about me? If they did, I think we should all get together here and discuss it. All I've been hearing in the faculty room is excitement about our joint projects. It wasn't exactly a complaint, but more like a questioning of your judgment. Shouldn't Becky or possibly Mike be teaching artificial intelligence? Oh, I said, starting to tremble. Quickly, I moved my hands under the table. I'm doing my job, and I feel confident I'm fulfilling the school's mission and the art curriculum. My students are totally inspired, and we like each other. Her breath sucked in, and a film swept over her eyeballs. I knew her exhale would issue a rebuke or an insult, and I braced myself. Getting along with the students isn't the same as teaching and fulfilling core requirements. Well, like I said, I feel confident I'm doing that. We'll see. She looked at her watch. I have a development meeting right now, and that's the other thing I want to talk to you about. May's father, Mr. Wu, is coming to open house tomorrow. You've probably heard he's a billionaire. Obviously, we want everything to go well. And since China's the worst polluter on the earth, I'm asking you to refrain from talking to him about your display. Fine. So much for Haskell's enlightenment, I thought to myself. While we still have one minute, I'd like to backtrack and ask you why you didn't speak to me about the tennis courts. The first time I heard about them was from Dale, who said he didn't like being bothered with school repairs. That put me in a bad position. What was your motivation for circumventing me? I'm not sure what you mean. I can tell you the facts that I know. I'd appreciate that. Well, a friend of mine in the paving business, you've met him now, said he'd like to fix the courts at his own expense, and who should he talk to? I said I didn't know, but I'd ask our athletic director since the courts were under his department. But I don't see the logic in that, Pia. Any repairs have to go through administration, which I head. You know I'm not just the academic dean. I'm the de facto deputy director of this school. Dale doesn't do anything. You should have brought the request to me. That was up to JP, not me. Well, now that it's done, I hope your friend finishes the job on time. Apparently, something went wrong with his paint order. I guess you could phone him and ask. 
Yes, or I might just take a walk down there after my meeting. Good, I thought. You can have another look at Rod's bod. Is Rod Tucker your boyfriend? A fake smile broke over my face and I evaded her question. He's really generous, isn't he? Yes, and quite a hard worker. We could use a good maintenance man like that around here. Part-time, no benefits, of course. You might ask if he's interested. I stared at her. Was she insane? Anyhow, we've written a letter stating he contributed $20,000 to the school as a tax-deductible gift. Now it's up to JP to train our tennis team. I'm pleased about that. I was able to escape then, my head and lungs crying for fresh air to eject her poison. I wondered if I was being tortured. Was there such a thing as workplace torture? I would Google it and find out. But when I got back to the studio, I ran down the rickety stairs to host Ceramic's room instead. He looked up from his careful glazing of a pot. Was he the one who had complained to Lori? Who else could it possibly be? Becky was thrilled with our cross-curricular work, and she loved the cyber-intelligence offshoot. Ho, are you okay with my climate change display? Of course, I love it. Why? What happened? Lori just called me in and said the project wasn't really appropriate for the art curriculum. Oof, too bad. She's that way, unfortunately. I found the best way to deal with her is to separate yourself from her words. Try to hear them as if they're objects. Little alphabet blocks being laid out on a table. Then there's nothing personal in them. He smiled kindly. Don't worry, Pia. You bring good energy to the school, and we all know it. Thanks, but my energy's getting me into trouble. Yeah, and art has always been political. And political consciousness inspires great works. Laurie knows that. Anyhow, I'm on board. And I love what all of us have accomplished in a few weeks. So, Laurie didn't talk to you about me. No, though she does make rounds and inquire how you're doing. That's her personal system for supervising. But as long as I have only good things to say... What does it matter? But that's underhanded. It's creepy. It's like surveillance in a fascist system. And it pits us against each other, like like we have to be tattling rather than working as a team. Yeah, it sucks. I try to ignore it. I went back upstairs, got my lunch bag from the fridge, and headed for the tennis courts, texting Rod that I was on my way. He answered immediately. Can't wait to lay my eyes on my dream girl. Kind of messy myself with paint. I'm sure I'll love you all the more in forest green. I wrote back. He didn't answer that, and I soon found out why. The courts weren't the traditional forest green, but brilliant, dazzling blue. The far court was already finished with slick white lines, and Rod and his young helper Vic were now pulling squeegees of blue paint over the last laps of the second court. Rod came over to me, letting a pool of paint rest against his squeegee. Like it? He grinned. He and Vic wore orange t-shirts with the Tucker Paving logo emblazoned on the front. It looks awesome. I love the blue. Yeah, the paint worked out by mistake. The store was at a green, so they gave me a good discount on the blue. JP came out of the gym and waved to us. I waved back but saw that Rod leaned on his pole with a look of boredom. I love it! JP crowed as he arrived. We'll be champs now! Merci, merci beaucoup, ma chère! He grabbed me up for kisses on both cheeks, my feet leaving the ground. And of course, biggest thanks to our maitre d', he added, dropping me and bowing to Rod. I invite you both for champagne. Just try to restrain yourself. Watch the courts. They're wet. I can't wait to play, Rod. Thanks to you, I can train for tournaments. 
He pirouetted, his face beaming. Vic, could you take over here with this puddle before it dries? Oh, looks like we have company coming. We followed his gaze and saw Lori coming down the hill, her gait clunky in wedged shoes. She wore shades and a purple tweed jacket. What's with the blue? She bellowed before reaching us. Perfection! JP yelled back, making lunges and sweeps with an imaginary tennis racket. Now we are just like the U.S. Open. That's right. The U.S. Open has had blue courts since 2005. Blue's best for seeing the ball. We need the ribbon-cutting ceremony, madame. Champagne, a, 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 a barbecue here at the courts. Absolutely not. Nothing is going to touch these courts but proper footwear. No court parties. She turned to Rod. Will this one be done by tomorrow? Oh, and by the way, the other one looks great. Thank you. My pleasure, Lori. He gave her a cavalier smile and a light bow. We should have the lines on this one later today. Could be early tomorrow. What about the nets? JP said, his face crumpling. They have holes. Rod's hand rose for attention. The nets are taken care of. You've got to have new nets or my work will be ruined. They're in the truck. All eyes turned to the Tucker truck parked next to the courts with equipment stored around it. Empty drums of paint, rollers, and a case of plastic water bottles. You know, Lori, I'd be pleased if you named these the Tucker courts. And I'd be down for covering the cost of a brass plaque for the fence. Oui, super idea, JP said. Hmm. We should definitely organize a celebration at Ruggles to thank Rod for this gift. D'accord, JP agreed. Could you set that up, JP? Send out an email, talk to Ruggles about numbers and food. Check the calendar for a free Friday, or, oh wait, Thursday's better, but it has to be this month. After that, things get too crazy with the holidays and end of term. Done, JP said, saluting her. It'll be the athletic department's expense, she added. Eh, pourquoi? C'est un capital improvement, he protested. I need to recede the playing fields. Those? If you're talking about those fields over there, they're goners. You'd have to dig them up or use synthetic. I could help with that. Let's take this conversation offline, Lori said. Her sunglasses drank in the finished court one last time. I wonder, JP, is there anything you could do for open house to showcase the new courts? Oui, oui. We'll have a mini-match, Louise and me. Three games. Do you play Rod? Lori asked with her glued-on smile. Indeed I do, he said suavely, hand running down his lean stomach. Then why don't we have a men's match? I think that would be more exciting for parents. I'd love to cream him. Rod said. Don't be too sure, mon ami. I played in the Rollins Garros, JP grinned. Whatever that is. The French Open, duh! <laughs> JP had no idea who he was dying. So do we have a plan? Can you add the match to the program, JP? And send the info to Anita as soon as possible. She's about to print the schedule. What's better timing for the match, morning or afternoon? Afternoon, to be sure the courts are really dry, Rod said. Then shall we say one thirty? People will be tired from lunch and happy to relax in the fresh air and watch a few games. We should do a set. We? Oui? Three games is boring. All right. Is thirty minutes enough for a game? 
That's fine. Could, could be longer if he's any good. Better a lot an hour, Rod said. On my way home that day, I stopped in the dining hall to recheck all the pencil and charcoal still lifes hanging on the walls. It all looked perfect, ready for open house. Dixie waved to me from one of the long tables where she read student papers. Hey, Pia, can you visit for a sec? She said. I've been meaning to tell you how wonderful these drawings look. I can't wait for Cal to be in your class next term. Thanks. We were learning about shading and tone. I can tell I'm blown away, and I love Charles's painting in the science building. He's amazing, I agreed. Yes, but you're the one encouraging him, and that counts for a lot. Thanks. I, I hear the opposite from Lori. Don't worry. That's just how she is. As long as my job's safe. Of course it is. You're getting a great response from the kids and your colleagues. Same to you. I loved your Madame Bovary paper. You mean you stole a copy? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. And I hear it's your boyfriend who put in those awesome courts. That's some gift for the school. Yeah, he's really generous. But I'm not sure he's really my boyfriend yet. I'm still getting to know him. Well, he seems like a good guy. Just then her 13-year-old son Cal came into the dining room. School was over for the day and he was ready to go home. Our greetings echoed in the empty space that had a leftover food and bleach smell. I'll be ready in a sec, Dixie said to him. Why don't you look at the drawings from Pia's class? You'll have her next term. Model prints and woodblocks, I said. I like art, he said, and started to circle the drawings. My eyes followed him, thinking how so many kids grew up with divorced parents and what grief that caused them, at least at first. I had been lucky with parents who were still together, but what a challenge it must be to accomplish that long-term coexistence and loyalty. Did Rod and I really have that potential? Cal returned to us with a smile. Nice, he said. I really want to try etching. We'll do it. It's a perfect follow-on to our monoprints and woodblocks. And we have an old-fashioned press in the studio. Why don't you come by sometime and we'll take a look at it. I can show you how it works. He said he would, and then the three of us put on our backpacks and left the building. The short encounter with good, respectful people had restored my inspiration and my trust in my worth. (sighs) I just have to make it through tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Episode 7 of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spilsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com. Redline.